No, they still have a lot of picks. They have Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson. There are assets there. Whether that's enough to go out for what Brooklyn would want, does want for Kevin Durant, and to think that there's not somebody out there who could top it, mm. it just is a much harder road for the Suns to get KD, uh, certainly in the short term. That was Adrian Wojnarowski on NBA Today yesterday on ESPN, laying out that it's not impossible but it's not as probable for the Suns to get Kevin Durant. So we welcome you into the final hour of Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. So let's go down the... I don't know how to split this right now. Do we want to split it as an 80% he's not coming, 20% he is, or do we want to do a 70-30? Whatever number you want to throw on it, just realize that it was always more likely to have DA back than to have Kevin Durant. Okay. It was so, never likely to get Kevin Durant. How about this? Then I'll do 80-20. Okay. Since that seems like less that likely. seems fair. So we're, you and I, Steve, are going to go down the 80% road. The road that is highly likely to be traveled. The world where Kevin Durant is not a member of the Phoenix Suns. Okay. Let's do that. The Phoenix Suns are not done with the offseason. They are not done. Not remotely. So let's let's recap quickly what they have done. They've re-signed Bismack Biombo. Yes. They have traded for Jock Landale, who is a center. Okay. So you now have three centers on the roster with eight. He essentially replaces JaVale McGee, right? Yes. Okay. They signed Damian Lee to a one-year deal. Shooting guard. Shooting guard from the Golden or State Warriors. Wing, I guess. Wing forward, etc. Shooting depth, wing depth, however you look at it. They signed Josh Okogie to a one-year deal. Shooting guard. Or... Wing? wing same thing. Probably another wing. So Kellen has pointed out is not the best at shooting. Or okay. at least a three-point shooting. Kellen Got Olson, it. our writer at ArizonaSports.com. So he's an end-of-the-bench guy. Yes. So so right now, the Suns have those four acquisitions. Aiton's back. You've got Booker on the Supermax extension, which kicks in, I believe, after this season. you got Chris Paul. You got Mikhail, you got Cam, you got Landry, you got Campaign. You got Dario coming back off of injury. Are you comfortable with the state of the Suns roster right now? Um, and the answer, I'm going to tell you, is no, I'm not comfortable with the state of the Suns roster. I wouldn't say comfortable. I, I feel okay about it. I mean, it's essentially running it back. You've essentially got the same roster now that you did. The only big difference I notice is JaVale McGee is gone. You replace him with Jack Lawndale. That's probably the biggest difference. And to be honest with you, I think Bismack Biombo uh, made enough of an impression on the court. Uh, he signed a couple of 10-day contracts, ended up with a full-season contract. I think, if I remember right, he ended up replacing Frank Kaminsky for the playoffs. Was that right? That was Ish Wainwright, I believe. Okay. Maybe, maybe Who is that was also still a member of this roster. He's currently in Summer League right now. Either way, well. either way, Bismack played well enough to be on the team for the postseason as well. I think Bismack might essentially be replacing JaVale, and then Londale becomes the Bismack role, if that, that makes sense. That seems highly likely. Um, so for the most part, most of the team is back in mostly the same look. Um you do still have your ball handling situation is the same. Chris Paul campaign is still around, so he's kind of the backup. Aaron Holiday is now gone. Aaron Holiday is gone. Uh, I always thought that Aaron Holiday should have gotten more of an opportunity. I agree. They didn't give up a lot 
to give Aaron Holiday uh, to get him at the trade deadline. But they didn't use him enough for what they gave up. Not nearly. They like, never really gave him a chance. Like, and even if you only give the other team cash, you you want to get the value from what you're spending, right? And I, f- I don't think the Suns used him to his full value. I felt campaign just fell apart in the postseason. 100%. And he wasn't shooting well. Not that Aaron Holiday is some great shooter or that you need to rely on him for that. But campaign couldn't, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat in the postseason. And Aaron Holiday provided what felt like a jolt or like a burst. Granted, they threw him in in garbage time, but he still went out there and tried to play. Yeah. So I don't blame him for not being here anymore. I hope he finds a better opportunity somewhere else. To oh, be he honest. did. He gets to play with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray in Atlanta. That's not so bad. That sounds pretty cool. That's not so bad at all. So. To answer your question, I don't feel bad about this roster. It's just, how are you going to get better? And we talked about this right after the NBA Finals. The Boston Celtics went out and got better. They went to the Finals, but they went and got Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, the Golden State Warriors are looking for ways to get better. I mean, they were even in on the Kevin Durant conversations. They might still be in on the Kevin they Durant conversations. They got a steal of a deal of Dante DiVincenzo in free agency. Right. They're getting better. Yep. So now the Suns are playing catch-up. Because they had this Aiton situation, they've been trying to get Durant, but will they, won't they? They're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. They got a late start on building the rest of the organization because it could have looked two very different ways. Now that you know Aiton is back and you're essentially running it back, let's say Durant's not a possibility, although I think it still is. If you're not going to get him, what upgrades can you make? I have one that's right at the top of my head, and I know all the Suns fans would love this, and they want this. Hit me. Eric Gordon. Oh, yes, that would be good. You've got a team in Houston that's not competitive. Bunch of young dudes. I mean, you look at that lineup, and it's just riddled with 22-year-olds. And I was on Facebook the other day. You know how Facebook... Facebook? You, you know, you, you log in for the first time in a week, and it tells you, hey, this is what you said in 2008. And you're like, oh, God, that's Nothing embarrassing. Like that. Delete that. Yeah. I logged in the other day for the first time all week, right? And it says, hey, you said this... In 2011, and it's and it's me, obviously, and it says, man, I would love it if the Suns traded a first-round pick for Eric Gordon. That was 11 years ago I said that. And Eric Gordon is still playing basketball. And it <laughs> remains true to this day. Just one first-round pick. If, if Kevin Durant is a no-go, one first-round pick to Houston, and that should be enough, in my opinion. Maybe you have to throw in a couple seconds or well, whatever. No, I to mean, get Eric Gordon. That's a backup ball handler, a really good shooter. I think he's competent on defense. That's a really good backup plan. I mean, no Philadelphia really wants him. The rumors have been out there that Philadelphia's been trying hard to essentially put back together the Houston Rockets of the D'Antoni era. Well, I it's Daryl Morey. I, so. Yeah, I know. But I don't hate that move. I think it improves shooting. It, it is a much better option behind Chris Paul if Chris Paul has to go to the bench and Book goes to point. Or if he gets COVID or whatever happened in the Dallas series. And it's a little more security as, a, as opposed to campaign, who, no offense to campaign, but he's not the best shooter. He's got two shot options. Take a three or dive at the backboard while doing an underhand layup. And that is, it, it has to work for him because of his height disadvantage, but... You know, I'm a short guy, so I can feel for that. Now, it's not easy. Eric Gordon is 34. Uh, yeah. Contract's about $19.5 million for this season. It's a pretty steep price. And twenty, almost $21 million for next season at age 35. It's not easy to work him into your, to your, uh, your salary cap stuff. Here's the other thing. Houston still really likes him. 
Sure. And they see him as a fantastic role model for guys like Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. So the other part of it is, you know, getting the other half of this trade to work. And from reports that have been out there for past month or so, Houston's just not going to give up Eric Gordon for nothing. They see him as a valuable piece, a valuable asset on this team. Now, I think eventually they'll get to a point where they're also trying to tank like everybody else to go and get Victor Wembenyama, the ridiculously good French center. But they still see value in him now. So eventually the only reason you would move him is because the the money's getting a little too pricey and you're not going anywhere and you can get good assets for him. That would be about it. Yeah. It's going to be tough to figure out. I mean, you'd probably have to give up one, if not two, role players in this deal just to make salaries match. Sure. Um, but like, but would if you'd you be willing to move of, off of campaign and Landry Shamit, hundred percent, and a first round pick, hundred percent. Now that works for the Suns, and and obviously we're Suns fans. Like that works for us, but yeah. that doesn't mean that works for Houston. Does Houston want that? Landry Shamit's contract goes up this year. Uh, campaign, uh, you're probably not falling in love with what he did in the postseason. So I don't know that Houston wants to do that. You're right. Maybe they want to keep him around and be a role model. I don't know what value that has at this point, but they might look at it the other way. They might say, you know what? We're just a team full of young guys, and we want to rebuild. And Eric Gordon doesn't really fit that, and he's got another. He's got two years on his contract. And maybe he wants to go somewhere and win. Maybe he does, yeah. Win. That could play a role. Not that he carries the weight that a Kevin Durant does if he asks for a trade. But, no, no, no. But if you're Houston, you're like, you know what? This makes sense for us, and it makes sense for you. Let's move him. And you feel good about what you're getting back from a team like the Suns or the Sixers, then do it. That's that's a move that I would be doing if I was the Suns. Backup ball handler or a third rotational ball handler that's not Chris Paul or Devin Booker. Depth and you guard. get better at shooting. Cam Johnson, I feel great about Cam Johnson as a shooter. I feel pretty good about Mikel. I feel pretty good about Jay Crowder, I guess. But you could get better. And I think that deal does it. There's no reason as to why this team can't improve in the offseason. They and just showed that the regular season does not matter as much anymore. For the team that won more regular season games than anybody else by a large margin, you got to have a depth for the postseason. That's where it matters. I agree. Coming up next... Pivoting to Major League Baseball because the trade deadline is just a few weeks away. A lot of things only a few weeks away. But did last night create better leverage for the Diamondbacks ahead of the deadline? We'll explain next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports goes local. It's Arizona Sports Saturday, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. And here comes the pitch from Rogers. He struck him out looking. Ball game is over. Padres win it by a final score of 5-3. They take the series opener behind a strong showing from you, Darvish. Welcome back to Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Vareldis with you, taking you up to 1 o'clock. Yeah, that's the latest from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, we are just days away from the All-Star break. The All-Star festivities begin Monday. Uh, that's the Home Run Derby, the celebrity softball game. I anticipate, I haven't looked at the roster, I anticipate a huge celebrity softball game because this game is taking place in L.A. They've got a literal red carpets. You have access to basically every big name in Hollywood. I, I expect big things for this game. 
So fun fact. Not that I'm going to watch it. I don't know if you know this, but so every year they show it on Monday after the Derby and it's just pre-recorded, right? Right, yeah. They do it in the afternoon, They I guess. do it after the Futures game on that Sunday. Right. So when okay. I so when I went to the festivities last year because it was in Colorado, they did the celebrity softball game after the Futures game, which I did not know. Did you stay for years. it? Eh, for like five seconds. There wasn't a lot of celebrities that I knew. Jenny Finch threw out another first yeah. pitch again. Like, she's you know, always in it, yeah. Yeah, so. I think she's in it again this year. Probably. But then the other days, of course, you get the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game itself, and it's my favorite time of the year as a baseball fan because you just get to see the biggest names or the best first halves of seasons, and this roster is no exception. From the Diamondbacks' perspective, it's kind of weird. Your all-star is a left-handed reliever who's 31 years old who's had spot starts in the majors up until this point, right? Or spot appearances, I should say. Yeah, not starts, but yeah. He's been around. Like His first season was, I believe, 2016 with the Yankees. And then it was back and forth between majors and minors. 19, he got an opportunity with, so I believe it was the Reds. Didn't pan out. And now Vantaply's here. And Mantiply was the best representative for the Arizona Diamondbacks in the eyes of, you know, fan voters, player voters, and the commissioners. Here's a question. I don't mean this to offend Joe, Joe Mantiply. By the way, last week when you asked me who deserves to go and who will go, I said the answer to both questions is Joe Mantiply. I love that guy. Love that he's in the game. Yes. But I'll still ask the question anyway. Is he good enough to play in the All-Star game? I'm not talking about does he deserve to be there. I'm talking about he's going... Will he play in the game? If you had to guess. You know, if the three batter minimum didn't exist, he might be one of those guys that's, oh, oh no, here comes big, scary left-handed hitter on the American League side. We need this awesome left-handed pitcher who's only walked one batter this season. Does the three batter rule still apply in the All-Star game? I'm not even sure, really. It It doesn't really matter. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, sometimes it comes around where every year there's not enough room for everybody to play, and it usually affects pitchers the most. And, you know, to answer your question, I don't think he's going to be good enough to pitch. Like, if you look, if you have the average baseball fan in, in America, not in Arizona, in America, even in Arizona probably, mm-hmm. they look at that lineup and they go, oh, man, Clayton Kershaw, obviously, he's a Dodger, he's got a pitch. Tony Gonsolin's got a pitch, he's a Dodger. Uh, Sandy Alcantara's Sal- been Alcantara, one of pitchers this season. Corbin Burns. I mean, like, those are guys that have to pitch in the game. Yeah. That's good for baseball. That's good for the sport. 100%. You see the name Joe Mantiply, and not only are you, like, thinking lesser of that, but you're like, I don't know who that guy is. No. A lot of people. I mean, obviously, you and I do, and I think he deserves to be there. And I hope he plays in the game, but I I just have a feeling that he's not even going to make it into the game, and that and that upsets me a little bit. Which would stink as a D backs fan, especially because he's the only representative for the entire. Well, I'll correct myself in a second. He's really the only representative for the entire weekend. Yeah, you've got Corbin Carroll and you've got Jordan Lawler on Sunday, but the futures game doesn't pull as heavy as the actual game and the Derby, right? It's not going to be as powerful, and it's. Look, would we feel differently if Zach Gallon got to go? Like, would Zach Gallon automatically get to pitch because he's there? I don't think that's guaranteed. Would Cattell Marte get to play? Yeah, it's a higher possibility that Marte would play. So for man to play, it's an honor, and it's great recognition for him, who's had a very tenuous career to this point. He's having a breakout year. Yes, 
but that doesn't result in him actually playing on Tuesday. I hope he does. I hope he plays. Hey, so I wrote an article. It's going to be up at ArizonaSports.com. It's not yet. I think it publishes Monday. I was going to plug your um, podcast, too. Oh, yeah. I'm on the Ain't No Fang podcast. I host it with uh, our good friend Cody Fincher as well. So he and, I, he and I co-wrote an article for this coming week. Um, titled Trades We'd Like to See the Diamondbacks Make. The trade deadline is August 2nd this year, thanks mm-hmm. to the new CBA. Um, so we put together four trades, reasonable trades, mm-hmm. that we would like to see the Diamondbacks make for the deadline. Can I ask, for the sake of paying off the tease, Yeah, because the reason that I teased it as, does last n- did last night create better leverage for the Diamondbacks, right. was because Madison Bumgarner started last night. Yeah. So I would like to start there okay. if you have a reasonable Madison Bumgarner trade. I do. Okay. Hit That's me. one of the four that worked its way in. Cody actually wrote this. Madison Bumgarner for salary relief. Essentially saying, get what you can, we don't expect much. And that's going to depend on what what amount of money the Diamondbacks decide to eat. Is it a Zach Granke like deal where you trade him and you eat half the salary and get some prospects? Or does the team that's receiving him take on all of it and you get basically nothing except mm-hmm. for the salary relief mm-hmm. either of which we would be okay with Cody brings up an interesting point in the article saying that the ideal team that would want to do this is the San Francisco Giants in what other market does Madison Bumgarner carry as much weight as he does in San Francisco? And if you're trying to convince your team, at the time we wrote this, by the way, I think it was yesterday, uh, they were only one game out of the third wild card. So they're still competitive. They're hovering a little bit over 500, but they're still competitive. Adding a guy like Madison Bumgarner, who's a legend in the Bay Area, would be great for the fan base, great for the rotation, and let's be honest, the Giants aren't exactly hurting for cash. Well, so... Here's what, here's my point about leverage or possible creation of leverage. There was a big, big moment for Madison Bumgarner last night that did not get overlooked by the writers, but might have gotten overlooked by some of the fans. He hit 95 last night. For a guy that's had diminishing velocity since he joined the Diamondbacks, that's significant enough, in my opinion, to create a possible trade scenario, whether it's with the Giants or whoever, that it might be more than salary relief. You might be able to move more of, if not all of, his contract off of your books and then give you flexibility to, I'm not going to say go out and make the same mistake again by signing some other big name star to another deal that you can't afford and then later have to trade him. I don't want them to go through that again, again. But it does create a little more flexibility if you want to get better role players around your up-and-coming stars and Cattell Marte. Maybe go out and get one of those under-the-radar pitchers who has some good underlying stats, but like the ERA seems a little inflated. He hasn't pitched well because of the certain scenarios that he pitches in. His pitch command is not the best, but he's really good at throwing this one pitch. Like That was one of the bigger successes of the Giants the past couple of years. Because they were able to identify pitchers who had those great underlying stats and then minimize the outside noise to just Kevin Gossman, for example. Just throw your fastball and your splitter. It'll work. Was an all-star last year. Was a, is a star pitcher so far for the Blue Jays this year. You can make that work. you got to be devoted to it, though. Let me quickly throw you the three other ideas. Get your quick reaction to each one. Okay. Here's an option I wrote about. David Peralta 
to the New York Yankees for either Ben Rortvet or Kyle Higashioka. They're kind of the backup catchers. Here's the argument. Okay. The Yankees want a left-handed hitting outfielder. They wanted Andrew Benintendi, but reportedly, according to John Heyman, they are no longer going after Benintendi because he's unvaccinated, and they anticipate playing six more games in the regular season in Toronto. Those Blue Jays games really matter. Yes. So would David Peralta be another option for them? And as for the return, they struck lightning in a bottle with Jose Trevino, who is now an all-star and has three years of arbitration after this season. They might as well ride that train. And they've got Higashioka as their backup. Last season, he was 14th in the entire league in runs saved defensively by pitch framing. I think that would be a good option for the Diamondbacks. They could use a catcher. A strong defensive catcher. A strong defensive catcher. He doesn't hit a lick, but I wouldn't say that Jose Herrera does either. But you've got Dalton Varsho, who can make up for the hitting woes of your catcher position. Don't need him a catcher. I want Varsho in the outfield. Really? Every day. Yep, that's a separate conversation, but I want to hear your other traits. Okay, here's the other two that I came up with quickly. Uh, here's an option I don't think anybody would think is even possible. Four prospects, and I named them in the article, but I'll spare you for the time. Okay. Four prospects for Paul Blackburn of the Oakland Athletics. He's a first-time All-Star. He's having a breakout season. And I know what you're thinking. Why would the Diamondbacks be buying at the deadline? He's 28, and he has, I believe, three years... Of arbitration, yeah, three years of arbitration left after this season. Would you be willing to give up some of your depth in the outfield and in the rotation in the minor leagues? You've got four guys, you've got a lot of guys, honestly, in the upper minors. I'm talking Amarillo and Reno that you could give to Oakland, who's clearly rebuilding. Instead of reaching out for Frankie Montas like the rest of the league is doing, mm-hmm. go after Paul Blackburn. Interesting. Okay. Okay, last, the last, one? last option. This one makes a lot of sense to me, and Cody wrote about this one. Two, uh, two decent prospects and a low-level prospect for Trevor Rogers of the Miami Marlins. Clearly, Mike Hazen has a history of trading with the Marlins. They got Zach Gallon from them. They got Caleb Smith from them. They dumped Starling Marte on them. Trevor Rogers. Dump Trevor Rogers is having a horrible year in Miami. Just bad. But think about the depth they have. Alcantara has shot through the roof. Pablo Lopez, Edward, uh, Edward Cabrera, Jesus Lazardo, Yuri Meyer Perez, Max Meyer. Yeah. It's just endless. It's endless in Miami. They have so many good starting pitchers. Why not ask them to dump the lefty that made the all-star team last year? And you could take him on and give up a couple of prospects for Trevor Rogers, who's so got tons of control, by the way. So you have two buys and two sells. Yeah. Interesting way of going about it. I'm looking forward to that article. Coming up next. So, DeAndre Ayton is back in the Valley. But the last year has been layered with a lot of tension. So how do the two sides grow out of this tension? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 97.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, we got a half hour with you left. The both of us and Trevor Henry behind the glass, keeping you company on this Arizona Sports Saturday. A lot of talk about DeAndre Ayton, of course. It's been the big story for the past 48 hours, in case you missed it or in case you were living under a rock or don't pay attention to the Phoenix sports market. DeAndre Ayton got an offer sheet from the Indiana Pacers, a max offer sheet, four years, $133 million. He signed the offer sheet. Three minutes later, he was back on the Phoenix Suns. It's just that easy, right? 
Yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting roller coaster. If I'm trying to put myself in the DeAndre Hayton headspace, on the one hand, you feel bad because the team didn't want to give you the max contract a year ago, and they did not do that. So that's bad. On the good side, you played really well and you got better as a player, and I think he developed this year. Then on the bad, they tried to trade you at the trade deadline. But then on the good, at least you got your money in the end. But on the bad, they tried to trade. You see what I'm saying? Like, if I'm DeAndre Ayton, I don't you know how to feel check, right now. You get the check mark and the delta, you draw the line, split the two to fill your column of pluses and minuses. Something's got to get fixed between these two sides. Does it? That much is, I think so. I don't know that anything's broken. Really? I, I don't. Because I think that we've created the narrative on our own that there's a chasm between the two sides. Okay, we created the narrative on our own, but so did the head coach and the center. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. There was an incident in Game 7 yes. where he only played 17 minutes and they clearly were confronting each other about it. And Yes. I'm not sure that that one blow-up at the end of the game and the last game of the season carries over. I'm not sure that, there's anything there to fix. What if that blow-up is from a build-up of an entire season long of Aiton just kind of submitting to a role that he doesn't like? That's possible. I think it's more likely... I mean, every player on that team should have been livid after that Game 7. Hell, they should have been livid after the first quarter when you're already losing that They bag. should have rioted. I, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Maybe We've had enough that. riots in America for my taste. But I think that... Everyone should have been ticked off about what happened in that game. Everybody, not just Aiton. Now, you're right. He he probably did take a back seat in a role that he wasn't super happy with because, let's be honest, Devin Booker is the main scorer on this team. Uh, Mikel Bridges is probably the leader of the defense, so to speak. And Chris Paul is the leader of the entire team. He's the heart of the team. So, yeah, there's not a lot of room for Aiton to shine, so to speak. But I don't know that there's some rift I mean, I know that the team just tried to trade him, but in the end, they did the best possible thing they could have done in terms of encouraging him by signing that max offer sheet in three minutes. By not even taking the time to think about it or what the implications were. Let's be honest, they've had enough time to think about it. They've had months. They knew that if he got an offer sheet, they were going to sign it. So why wait? Why wait? They could have waited until today. Right now. They could have signed it today. They got it Thursday. Okay, so there's so many different rabbit holes we can go down with this. I purely, for this segment, want to just focus on the relationship between the two sides. But there's the obvious rabbit hole of if they really wanted DeAndre Ayton this bad, why weren't they the ones extending the offer to Ayton? Fair. Is it because they could offer more money and they didn't want to pay that much money? Did they go, here's your tinfoil hat theory. Did they let the market dictate what Ayton was worth and then just pay him at that rate because they knew that they would be getting a discount? on Aiton if he went to a different team and got the money that he wanted slash was able to get? I don't think that's a tinfoil hat theory at all. I think that's probably the most likely. So I, don't, I think they didn't want to pay him whatever. I, f- I forget what, what the numbers are it exactly. It like, like 200 plus million. Close to that, yeah. It's, I think after incentives, it's like 207 million or something for a max player on your own team. Whereas they were like, well, we could just let him hit the market and see who's interested. By the way, in case you didn't notice over the last couple of weeks, not a lot of people wanted DeAndre Ayton. Mm-hmm. We heard at first that Utah was somewhat interested in at least talking the mar- about the, the market possibility. soured a lot faster after Kevin Durant requested out of Brooklyn. I don't think I people think were lining up after Indiana to get him. I really don't. No. 
So the Suns were like, well, let's just see what Indiana wants, and if we're forced to sign it, we'll sign it. And it's cheaper than the deal we would have had to do with them ourselves. I think you're totally right about that. Okay, so then if that's the way he went, that it was gone about by the Suns, do the Suns fully trust Aiton at the level that they're going to be paying him? Or did they just match the offer sheet because they knew that they were going to get more value out of DeAndre Ayton as opposed to not having DeAndre Ayton? There's so many different rabbit holes to go down with this. Here's what I do know and what I believe. Something needs to be made clear. It doesn't have to be made clear to us, but it has to be made clear to Monty and Ayton or the organization and Ayton. That they believe in him. Otherwise, they wouldn't be giving him this money this year's. They would have just let him go. Right? I think we can agree that otherwise they would have just let him go if they didn't believe in his talent or his ability or his role with this team. I still think something needs to be said in conversation between those two parties. We're not going to get anywhere if the only thing we have hanging over our heads for the rest of this offseason heading into the regular season is... I can't pass the ball to myself. Right. We're not going to get anywhere. And Adrian Wojnarowski yesterday was very quick to make that point. This process does create acrimony, and certainly uh, it was felt in Phoenix, I think Mm. especially at the end of last season, uh, by DeAndre Ayton. And now when you match the offer sheet, you get DeAndre Ayton back. Now there's some mending that has to go on, and I think – I think especially Monty Williams, Chris Paul, the leadership of that Suns team. Listen, they're uniquely uh, able to go and do that. Monty Williams has had a very strong relationship overall with DeAndre Ayton, but it gets tested in this process. Yeah, I I certainly understand where Woj and and you and a lot of people seem to think that there needs there's some mending that needs to be made between the two sides. I certainly get it. I understand the narrative. I understand what happened in Game 7. I understand the fact that you just tried to trade the guy. So, really, he's sitting there thinking, well, am I only getting paid in Phoenix because they were forced to pay me? And yeah, that's kind of the situation. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I'm like, how how upset can a guy be when he just made $133 million? Well, To stay in Phoenix and not go to Indiana. Okay, in I've fair- never been to Indiana, but I'm... I mean, I, I grew up in Ohio. I'm pretty sure I know what Indiana's like. In fairness, we're looking at this pers- from the perspective of two dudes who don't make nearly the same amount of revenue that an NBA basketball player you does. You don't know what my contract is. <laughs> I don't, and you don't know what mine is either. <laughs> the point being that Aiton's value has its own scale. Maybe he thinks he's worth more than four years, $133 million. Remember, he probably if, should too. Remember, if it was the Suns that offered him the contract, the max rookie extension is somewhere to the, to the tune of five years, one ninety three. That's what Darius Garland got. That's what Zion Williamson got. That's probably the money Aiden was looking for. Plus, that extra year can mean so much more to a player than we think. Four years, one thirty three versus five years, one ninety three. It's a significant difference. Yeah, and by letting him go test the market in restricted free agency, they basically cost him money. And he might look at it that way. He might look at the Suns in retrospect and say, you know what, if you guys had just paid me, I could have made more money, and I would have been totally happy here. But now I'm still here, but I'm making less because you guys didn't want to pay me. 
and now you have to pay me. So he might see it that way. Or he might look around. Honestly, with how well this team got along all season long, it feels like all these players legitimately like each other. Like they had a legit chemistry that was a strength for this team. We talked about it since the bubble. Since the bubble run in 2020, what matters all we more, talked about was chemistry. What matters more to a player, to an individual player? The chemistry on the team and like how much the teammates like you and how much you like them, or how much the, uh, the front office, the organization likes you and how much you like them? To me, it's the, it's the teammates. They make the on-court product. It's the teammates and the coaching staff. That's what matters. And by the way, the coaching staff doesn't get to make any of these decisions. Do we trade him? Do we not trade him? Uh, what are we getting back? How much are we paying him? Unless None of that Gre- matters. Unless you're Greg Popovich or Pat Riley, but that's about well, it. Yeah, or Bill Belichick, whatever. But you're right about that. But to me, if I'm eight and I'm looking around and I'm saying, you know what? I'm still in the same situation. I'm still, I'm still in a good place. I'm making 30 plus million a year now, as opposed to whatever he was making on the rookie deal. It was a lot less. Mm-hmm. Your teammates still like you. You're still playing on a team with Devin Booker and Chris Paul and Mikel Bridges. That's that's a really good trio. Like, I, I don't know how upset he can really be. I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying I don't I don't know that there's some huge rift between the organization and DeAndre Aiden. Okay, let's close on this because I like this as a question. Who needs to accommodate the other more? Because I think the Suns need to do a little more accommodating of DeAndre Ayton. With the talent that DeAndre Ayton has, specifically as a center, and in a league that's starting to divert from the value of a center, if you get DeAndre Ayton in the right headspace and in the right kind of setup offensively and defensively, it can be devastating to some of your strongest competition. Specifically, the Warriors, who just won an NBA championship again, and Kayvon Looney had a great postseason, but he wasn't the main reason that they won the whole damn thing. So I think the Suns need to accommodate Aiden a little bit more this time around. I agree with you. I think that you have to evolve his game, and part of that is involving him more offensively. I know that it's what he was asking for at the end of Game 7, it appears. Uh, I, I, I don't think you just give it to him just because now you're paying him or any of that. I think that should have been the plan all along is get him more involved offensively. Evolve his game. Make him an elite center. Does that mean letting him take a three-pointer every now and then? Yeah, maybe. We know he's working on it. We know he's, he's he's can be good at that. Maybe that's part of it, but he's gotten better every single season, so let him evolve. Let him get even better than he currently is, and maybe down the road he is worth the money that they're paying him right now. That's coming, a possibility. Coming up next, speaking of money, you thought four years, 133 was a big deal? Seems like it. What about fourteen four forty million? I'm I'm sorry. What? Yeah, I I'll thought s- you didn't know the details of my contract. Fourteen years, four hundred forty million. Who was that supposed to go to? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Ninety-eight seven FM, Arizona's sports station. Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. Ah, I haven't heard that music in a long, long time, but it is time for footnotes here on Arizona Sports Saturday. First time hearing footnotes? Well, here's how it works. It's basically the stories that are so big, but there's a lot of them, and we didn't have time to get to them because we were too busy talking about DeAndre Eight. But how about this? I love how you pose that. You want to hear about Juan Soto? You know who Juan Soto is, don't you, Steve? I'm familiar. Baseball player. Baseball player. Very talented baseball player. 24-year-old talented baseball player who could be worth more than, I want to preface this again, 
more than 15 years, $440 million. Oh, that's a big number. That's a lot of money. That wouldn't... Wait, so that's a deal on the table right now? Reportedly, it is a rejected deal on the table. Jeez. Could you imagine rejecting that? Yeah, imagine from like our shoes. We're not baseball players. We're not athletes by any... Well, we've got Gatos' softball team. Yeah, I play on a softball team. But we're not at the level of a lot of these athletes. Well... So to clarify, to break down what 15 years, $440 million actually looks like... That's a lot of money. This is from Bob Nightingale of USA Today. Heavily backloaded over the last six years, a 29.3 average annual value... And the highest average annual value in the league right now is $43.3 million, and that's going to former Diamondbacks great Max Scherzer. Oh, lovely. So for perspective, Juan Soto, who is much younger than Max Scherzer, much younger than a lot of these top players at, his, at their games right now, accepting that contract would put him at 16th most valuable average annual value. Let's let's just call it like it is. Biggest contract ever. That's the biggest contract ever. One of them, yeah. That's crazy. And he, and he turned no. it down. And he said no. Because he's worth more. Well, in and my to be opinion. honest with you, Juan Soto's having a down year by his standards. Very and down. he's about to get paid four hundred and fifty million dollars. That's ridiculous. Or he might get traded and then get paid like and then get paid. Million. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody's already speculating where he might go. I don't even want to think about it because just seeing all the big stars go to the Dodgers makes me sick. I hear the Yankees need a lefty. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, jeez. Or the Angels will spend a ton of money and he'll get hurt. It's Angels spending money is a curse. Speaking of Juan Soto, though, he's going to be part of the All-Star festivities this weekend. Ah, yes. The All-Star game. He got voted in by the players. And the Home Run Derby. He was in, in Los the, Angeles this year. He was year. in the Derby last year. Beat out Shohei Otani, but then got beat out by the reigning champ Pete Alonso, who went on to win the whole thing last year. But he's back again. And the rest of the Home Run Derby bracket, if I can quickly pull it up, includes Pete Alonso, the yep. reigning champ. Includes Acuna. It includes... See, now I'm drawing a blank because I'm trying to find the bracket. I have the it. other names off the top of my Corey head. Corey Seager is there. Go ahead. Kyle Schwarber. Yes. Albert Pujols. Ooh. That's going to be fun. I forget how many we've already covered, to be honest. Look at us, not being prepared Schwarber, for this whole thing. Schwarber, Acuna, Pujols, Corey Seager, I said. Uh, oh, I've got it. All right, here we go. Who Schwar am I missing? Schwarber, Pujols, Juan Soto, Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez, that's Pete Alonso, Ronald Acuna Jr., and then Corey Seager and Julio Rodriguez. Julio. Julio. I'm excited to see Julio Rodriguez in the Home Run Derby. Um, I'm slightly interested in Corey Seager because I know he's going to be like the the underdog. You know what's funny is because he was the last announced participant. Right. And everybody up to that point is thinking, oh, it's going to be some big name. There's going to be a Dodger that's competing. Former Dodger. And it turns out the only former Dodger competing other than Seager is Albert Pujols. Yeah. I think he's going to get a lot of love in L.A. I think so, too. He Seager, maybe not. We'll see. He left. We'll see. So that derby is on Monday. And mentioned L.A. and the Dodgers. Finally, something bad is happening to the Dodgers. Unfortunately, it has nothing to do with the team on the field. The employees of all of the food stands and the concession stands at Dodger Stadium, their union is striking. They're fighting for better wages, of course. 
This strike is similar to what happened last year in San Francisco. However, it will not impact you getting a Dodger dog on All-Star Game Tuesday. Yeah, apparently they felt so good about the negotiations that they said, you know what, we'll we'll work the All-Star Game festivities. It's not going to impact that. First of all, my first reaction is good for them. Uh, good for them that they were able to get to the point where they felt comfortable with negotiations and that they're going to make better wages. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my second reaction is good for them for realizing when they had the most leverage. Seriously. Oh, hey, we're not getting paid enough. Oh, the All-Star game is in our stadium uh, coming up? Oh, it'd be so bad if we didn't work the All-Star yeah, game. Oh, I think I'm going to be sick that day. Uh, oh, I can't come in. I'm Good sorry. Good for them for capitalizing on a moment. Seriously. And then not actually having to strike during the All-Star game. I think, I think it worked out perfectly. I think it worked out perfectly as well. So Dodgers aren't striking. So business seems to be good there. You're nowhere else. Business is booming, I would say. The Big 12. A lot of stuff going on in college <laughs> football. I think so. So here, here, let me explain. A lot of things going on in college football. Yeah. In case you missed it, USC and UCLA are going to be Big 10 teams. That makes starting sense. Starting in 2024. Oh, it totally makes sense geographically. And so all of these other conferences, except for the SEC, are kind of panicking a bit. Pac-12 is losing two of its best money-making schools. And now you've got these other conferences that are wondering, how are we going to keep up? Well, the Big 12, they got a new commissioner to replace Bob Bolsby. Brett Yormark, his introductory press conference. Yormark? Yormark. And Yormark... Is that with a Y? Yormark is his mark because they are open for business. There is no doubt the Big 12 is open for business. We will leave no stone unturned to drive value for the conference. Just as I pledge to the board, we will be bold and humble, aggressive and thoughtful, and innovative and creative. Too little, too late. Is it you know really they, too late? You know when they should have been open for business, Mister Yorwark or whatever. When UCLA and USC were looking for new places to go. No, a decade ago when Texas A and M left for the SEC, uh. when Missouri left for the SEC, when you were picking up West Virginia. A decade ago, this happened. West Virginia is not too bad, is it? You had all the time in the world. The Pac-12 and or Pac-10 or whatever we are now, and the, the, and the Big Conference. 12, they both should have realized when when Texas A&M went to the SEC and thrived, by the way, with Johnny Manziel at quarterback and that whole era that they were going through. You should have realized then, not only do we have to expand, we have to convince the schools that are already in our conference to stay. Mm-hmm. And neither conference did that. Neither of them. It's too late. College football is just a mess right now. You've got all these schools We're going open to different for places. Business. No, the NCAA has no credence over anything anymore. It's That's like after UCLA and, and USC left. I read a tweet from uh, the commissioner that said, uh, we, "We're going to look at expanding." Brilliant idea. Why didn't you come up with that 10 years ago? Genius. Sounds like a lot of bad business. I mean, they did add Utah. You know what else has apparently been bad business lately? The guy trying to represent Russell Westbrook, at least in his opinion. Adrian Wojnarowski reported today, 14 years. And now Russell Westbrook and his agent, Thad Foucher of Wasserman, are parting ways. Yeah, probably because he doesn't want to be in L.A. And the agent's like, hey, this is probably the best thing for you. That's just my guess. Maybe he was just tired of getting called Westbrook. Because they're at a point now where he's Westbrook, nobody really wants him. Like, the Lakers have him and don't want him. They just brought him in less than a year ago. They they wanted to bring him in, and they don't want him anymore. And last thing for you before we get you out for the rest of your weekend, Tiger Woods 
Missing the cut at the British Open only gets to play Thursday and Friday. I think it would be hilarious. He's been very anti the live golf thing, mm-hmm. right? I think it would be hilarious if he missed the cut and then immediately came out and said, I'm going to Saudi Arabia. Or if Phil Mickelson won this whole thing. I, that would be cool. But no, it, from the Tiger perspective, like I think it would just be hilarious if he was steadfast so he against it. Kepka. And then loses one tournament and is like, I'm out of here. I'm taking the money. That seems like a Tiger thing to do. Hey, thanks so much for checking out the show this week. For Mitch Varelis, for Trevor Henry, Behind the Glass, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday.